up, you know, like like with stuff to preach about. I think I've been preaching at my wife and at like strangers, just opportunities, you know, I just start spilling out way more than they ask for in answers. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Um, and, and it's raining outside, and so you, you, you're not leaving anyway, you know, so I'm just going to talk until I'm done. I do have 18% battery life, so if this dies, who knows how long I'll go. I'm just going to start talking, just all the things that are in my brain, and that's a scary space, but... Uh, let me tell you what kids are doing today before I jump into this. Um, kids today, Jess was at home uh, boiling eggs, and uh, and so I know it has something to do with sharing the gospel and telling them about Jesus, and somehow they're going to use an egg to do that. And so um, I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it's just exciting to me to see her each week kind of preparing for that and doing something kind of weird, you know, every now and then. And especially this summer, they're going to spend the whole summer kind of going off script and, and doing something different. So um, I'm excited. A- ask your kid and let me know um, what they're doing with eggs this week. So I'm, I'm pretty eager to, to find out. I'm sure my daughter will not tell me what actually happened. So we're going to count on some of your kids to tell the truth. Um, so in my other life, uh, I call it another life. It feels very, very different from everything else. But I work with teenagers. What do you think a teenager's biggest problem is? And and teenagers have loads of problems. At least if you ask them, their parents would say, "Who cares about their problems? My problems are way bigger. I pay their bills. They eat all the food. They want a car. They want a phone. He's the worst. He's the best. She's the worst. She's the best. You know, they just uh, the gamut of emotions. Right? Their problems don't seem to be that big, but their biggest problem, the biggest problem that I run into. Um, when I deal with students is, uh, is perspective. Students struggle with perspective. I had a student the other day, and he, um, he's on the verge of, of not passing. And um, so we just finished up on Friday, and he's so close. There's only a few days left. I, I sat down with him. We made a plan for how he can finish, and, uh, and he's like, yep, I can do it. You know, and I'm thinking, no, you can't. You know, I mean, you've not been here three days in a row this whole year. You know, you're not going to make it. So he shows up the next day three minutes late. And, and it's not that he's three minutes late, but he's got some McDonald's. And I'm like, Really? You're gonna, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving him the perspective he lacks. You're gonna show up three minutes late and you got McDonald's. If you had stopped at McDonald's, you would have been early. And, you know, and, and I went through this whole plan with you and I know, and then I'm, you know, giving him the lie. Sometimes McDonald's seems really good, but there are other things that are important, you know, and I'm just really giving him, you know, all this stuff. And he lets me do it all. He just lets me go through all of it. And then he says, uh, actually, the bus didn't come by my school today. So, um, so I, I walked about a mile, and I, I walked like a few blocks to the bus stop. While I was waiting on the bus, I got something to eat because it wasn't coming yet. Then I took the bus with his own money. I took the bus up to, you know, Carrollton, and then I took the Carrollton bus over to the Franklin bus, and I took the Franklin bus all the way up here and still managed to be three minutes late, and it was raining. <laughs> and I was like, I wish, I don't know what to say, you know. I'm like, I still want to put him down, you know, because I'm fired up. Um, but I had to be like, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And then he goes on, you know, it doesn't require an apology, which I probably would. But that's a rare story. Um, the whole rest of the year, 
That kid struggled with perspective. You know, um, I, I have kids all the time, and we're like, man, if you can just make it through this program and only last one year, and, and you make it through the program, and, and, and when you graduate, we'll get you a job making 16, 17 bucks an hour, you know, which is way more than anybody in your house makes. And then, and then you're, you know, we're going to put you on a path to be making great money. You know, I mean, doesn't that sound incredible? That seems like everything you say you want. And they follow that up with, yeah, but I got this job at McDonald's. And they really want to schedule me, you know, for like two nights a week. And, you know, I need that guap, you know. So, And guap is money, by the way, if you're old and you don't know. I think it comes from like money is green, guacamole, and then they shorten guacamole to guac, and then they don't know what guac is, so they just called it guap because they heard it wrong. That's my theory. Um, but anyway, so, so you know, and, and I'm like, can you have a little perspective? You know, you make seven twenty-five an hour, or we're talking about a real future. And they struggle consistently with that. Um, perspective is one of their biggest problems, but the thing is it was ours at that age too, and unfortunately it sticks with us. It sticks with us for a long, long time. And, and, and when we have problems and when they have problems, a little bit of perspective would probably get us to the other side way faster than all the decisions we make and all the things that we do without good perspective. And here's some reality that I know. Lack of perspective leads to dissatisfaction. Lack of perspective makes us dissatisfied. We get dissatisfied even when things are going well. And even when if we could rewind five years and look forward five years and see where we are, and we like that, and we would have taken that, we don't have perspective on all that we've got and how far we've come, we're still dissatisfied with where we are. And we're dissatisfied when things are good. We're even more dissatisfied when things are bad. And, and all the things that we're chasing after that really we're just trying to be happy and we're just trying to get some satisfaction. After a while, when we, when we lose perspective, all that stuff, even when we get it, it just leaves us wanting a little bit more. Um, we live much of life. Many of us live a lot of life in this space. If only I could go to that event, you know, if only I could get to this income level, if only we could get to that stage in life, you know, when your baby's not sleeping through the night, all you can think about is what life will be like in a couple months. If only we can get to that next thing, I'd love to get that weekend house. When I can get the weekend house, then I can relax. Now I can't relax, you know, when I get that, that'll be great when I get the better job, when I get the other relationship. You know, all these things that consistently were like, man, when I just get to that place, I'll be satisfied. I won't chase anymore. I don't have to run after things anymore because that's really, that's really the thing that I need. And we're a little bit unsatisfied until we get there. So we'll spend the next three weeks digging into that whole idea, the whole idea of contentment and satisfaction and how we find it. And today I want to jump into the one that, that I think, you know, it was, as I'm walking through it this week, you know, I, I, I'm like, this one, this one is me, and I'm ashamed of it, but it's me more than anything else. But it's some dissatisfaction when things are going well. When I should be happy. When somebody else from the outside would look in and say, you know, it seems like things are going pretty well, but yet still I can't help but look at what's next. And I can't help but see what's a little bit further away. So I'm excited to jump into that. Timothy, and Scripture going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy uh, lived in this place called Ephesus. Uh, where we 
where we find the city of Ephesus at this particular point in time where, where when this letter was written. Ephesus is like thriving. This city has been experiencing an, an economic boom for like the past hundred years. It's, it's the wealthiest the city's ever been. It's the most important the city's ever been. At this particular time, it was, it was like second in, in importance only to Rome. And so, I mean, this is a really important place. They got one of the seven uh, ancient wonders of the world. They got the Temple of Artemis there. And, I mean, you know, just, a, just an incredible place. Lots of culture, lots of money. And there are a whole lot of people living, and all around the world, there are people that are in the middle of war, and there are people that are in the midst of extreme poverty. But in this place, life is pretty good. There's money to be made. There's people with money. There's things to be had. There's, there's lifestyles that are right in front of you. And there's a whole lot of good things. And Paul's writing to Timothy, and Timothy is a really young pastor at this time. And he's writing to him, and he's telling him how to help people that amidst all that lifestyle that calls all these people, Timothy's finding his people to lack contentment. And even living in this city where there's so much promise that no doubt so many people would say, if I can just get there, things will be a whole lot better. But yet they get here or they've been here and they just don't have it. And they're lacking some satisfaction. And Paul writes him this little portion of this letter to say, this is how, this is how you can help those people find what they've been looking for. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're just going to read 6 through 10. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You get that? that? That seems like that's the thing that we want, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing. Catch this. This whole thing is just rich. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. What if we were content? If we just had food and clothing, we were like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I don't need anything else. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For that you've probably heard this one before, verse ten, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul sees these people and things are going pretty well. they got a heck of a lot of stuff to be thankful for. They live in a city with opportunity and culture and plenty to do and plenty to have and all that stuff. They're not hungry. they got somewhere to live. They're not at war. Their families are safe. I mean, they got a lot of great things going, but they find themselves overall dissatisfied. And they're looking for a little more and something a little different. And they're looking for a change of scenery. And they just can't enjoy what's right in front of them. I used, to, I used to be mired in this place. I used to just be stuck here. And I still wander back sometimes. And I always am, am looking at what's next. You know, I want the church to grow. I want my children to grow. I want my income to grow. You know, and so I'm just looking ahead to a few things that are next. And then I start to plan ahead. And then I start to think about what I've been planning about. And it begins to consume me. And I start to live for the future. And then I give up time right now because in the future I'm going to have more time when I get to this place. And that's funny, right? Because that never happens. And, 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 I, and I get stuck consistently doing that thing, and I have to pull back in. Let's see, that was good. I wish I'd hit a great point right there. Huh? You know? 
Um, and I get stuck in that. And pretty soon, when I let myself walk down that road, pretty soon, right now sucks. Right now is not that good. Because all I can think about is how good it will be just a little bit down the road. And I get stuck there because I'm sure that I'll be there pretty soon. If you've been in that, that space, you've been in that place, I think the first thing that this passage sort of addresses is how we got there. This is how we tend to get in that space. And it, and it, and it kind of tells us, this is, uh, it's back in verse 5, and it tells us this is like one of the major things that keeps us from satisfaction, that keeps us from being happy, being joyful, feeling satisfied right here and right now. You see it in verse 5, they dealt with it, you, and I think we see it very much in our lives, but it's just some good old-fashioned envy. It's just some envy. We look around at what everybody else has. We look at somebody else's boat. I got a boat, by the way. Did you know? It's, a, it's an inflatable rowboat. Yeah. So I'm working my way up. You know. Um, we look at what other people have. Uh, we look at somebody with a bigger house. And right, nobody goes, people that talk about somebody and they say, have you seen their new house? It's huge, it's beautiful, they must be doing really well. And nobody comes by my house and says, have you seen his house? It's moderate and reasonable. He must spend his money very wisely, you know. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't spend everything the bank said he could spend. He's really smart. No, nobody says that. You may just praise the big one. We look at people with more influence. We look at people with more money. We look at people with more respect. I can't tell you how many times, you know, we went to, um, we didn't go to our class reunion, but we went to this thing there were a whole bunch of people we went to high school with. And, you know, they're like, you know, so-and-so we went to high school with, he's a doctor. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm just thinking, it's like they're saying, you know, you graduated ahead of him. Well, you're a teacher. <laughs> I mean, he's doing great. And then all of a sudden, I'm not very happy. I, I mean, I'm happy going to work every day, but now I'm not as happy. Because somebody else has got so much more influence with me. Other people want to be him. I want people to be me. Or to want to be me. And we look around at, at what everybody else has, and now all of a sudden, the thing that we were good with, the thing that we got that we were happy with not long ago, suddenly, I'm a little bit dissatisfied. And we think if we get to the next thing, we'll finally be happy like they are. And we'll finally get the thing that we've been looking for. But the reality is, you know what happens when you feed an appetite? You know what happens when you feed an appetite? It just grows. And the more you think about it and the more you feed it, and you think, if I just feed it till it's full, it, it'll always be full. But the more we feed it, the more it grows. And the more you indulge in it, the more you want next time. It's true for your gut. It's true for your life. The more you eat, the more capacity you have to eat in the future. The more you dwell on and seek after what you want, the more you want. And you just still can't quite get full of it. And it never works like we want it to. You never get around to satisfying the appetite. You just enlarge it. And it only becomes more and more. And the more, the big thing is, the more we look around, the more we look around at each other, and the more we look around at other people, the more we look at other relationships. My wife used to watch The Bachelor. That's the worst thing for every other relationship. They go on helicopter rides for second dates. I mean, it's totally unrealistic. Everybody's gorgeous. You know, it's just not real life at all. 
And I told her, if you let me, you know, date a few women at a time, somebody gives me a whole lot of money, I'm kidding, I don't want that life at all. But the more you look around, the more you feel like, man, what I have is not so good. You look at other relationships. People look at pornography. People look at other people's stuff. People look at new cars. What do they say about new cars? If you're shopping, you're buying. Because, <laughs> man, the more you look at it, the more you get back in your car, and it smells like old fries. It's not as nice anymore. The more you shop for bigger houses, you know, i got to get rid of the realtor app sometimes. I just take it off my phone for like months at a time. Because the more I look at it, the more I'm like, man, we need new countertops. You know, we need new floors. And the more you look at it, the more you want it. And the more I get it, the more dissatisfaction that I have. You know, I put a TV on my patio. I started sitting out there more. And then I had to redo the post. You know, the posts look great. Now the floor looks bad. And the more that I feed it, the more that I feed it, the more I feel like I have to feed it. And what I'd love for me and what I'm working towards, and heck, maybe I'm preaching this sermon so that I can study it, so that I can get better at it. But wouldn't I love, wouldn't we love to be satisfied? To say, God, I love what you've given me and I love where you've placed me and I'm okay with that. We love to be satisfied in our marriage and in our relationships and with my car and with my house and with my financial situation and with my identity and who I am and who God called me to be. Wouldn't I love to just be satisfied with that? Paul says, our problem is not what we have. The problem is not at all what we have. And hear me say this because this is, this is the beginning of the solution. The problem is not what we have. Our problem is our perspective. Our problem is our perspective. In 6 through 10, Paul just begins to say some things addressing our perspective. He says, your problem is you've come to believe that all this stuff matters way, way more than it matters. And it's not that it doesn't matter. You do need a house. That's pretty important. You need a house. You probably need a car. You certainly need some money. You should plan for the future. Not dwell on the future, but you should plan for it. Right? That's, th- those are important things. Um, before we grab this solution, I just want to tell you, as, as I've sort of been on this journey of walking through some of this, this is, this is kind of uh, what... Um this is kind of what I do, and I think this tends to help. But it's, it's sort of the, the healthiest way to do this. But when, when, I'm, when I get so focused on the future, and I know I've got to think about it a little bit. I know I can't be foolish about the future and act like it's not coming. Um, so this is, this is what I've, I've begun to do. So, so um, there's this idea of keeping things in proper perspective. And so you think about it like a box. And, and, and the way that the things that we want are, are, have any of you guys ever ordered one of those mattresses, a foam mattress? Anybody ever ordered one of those? And then if you make the mistake of opening it in a small space because it's a small box, all of a sudden it's like an airbag inflated on you. <laughs> and you're just trapped in there because it just, you, as soon as you cut the plastic, it just explodes out of there. And sometimes, often, like that's how all these things are that we need to focus on. Is, is we need to put them in a box and say, between here and here, I'm going to think about you. Because I need to. I need to do it. I need to put some time into thinking about the future. And my car is, is, is getting old, and maybe I need to have a plan for sure to break down. You know, we, those are some things we need to think about. But all we do is we is immediately, it's like we rip the box up and we take it out, and now it's huge. Now it just exploded. 
And now we can't, now our perspective is only this because it's all we can see because it's huge and it's right in our face. And so if you put those things in a box and say, during this time, I'll begin to work on those things. And when it's not this time, I'm going to keep my brain from going there. And what it does is it helps us keep some perspective. Sometimes when I start thinking about what I want and I have a, you know, a half hour that I usually do my quiet time, all, I, man, my quiet time gets inundated with all the other things that I've been wanting to think about. And now I can't quiet my brain to, to, to pray and I can't quiet my brain to focus on these scriptures. And so I've learned to kind of put these things in a box so that my perspective stays where it needs to be. So that it don't fill the space. But so that's some of the idea about perspective. But, but he says some specific things about perspective. And he says uh, we need perspective. We need this, this, this wise lens for seeing the world. And that's sort of this, this trick to living a life where we're satisfied in what Jesus has given us. And here's the two different things Paul says specifically about perspective. In verse 7, he says this. This is a great piece, right? He says, um, you brought nothing into the world... And you can take nothing out. How's that for, for perspective? You brought nothing into the world, and you can take nothing out. I heard it said that living the way that we live a lot of times is like it's like going to a museum. And you know, a lot of museums you got to walk through a scanner. You know, there's a metal detector. Like you, you can't bring much in there. You can bring the you know the clothes on your back, your wallet, your phone, but not much, not much other than that. You go into the museum, and you just decide to stay there because now you're surrounded by riches. You know, you got all this great stuff, and you're like, you know what, this museum, when I'm here, I feel luxurious. I just walk through, you know, I just walked up in the middle of a million-dollar paintings, and I just feel like, I feel so rich now, and I'm just going to hang out here. But the reality is, at the end of the night, you're not going home with any of that. And if you try to, you're going to leave with even less than you came. And that's sort of how we live life. You know, we, we, we want to surround ourselves with all these things that we don't get to take with us. And it makes a lot of sense when we think about it in the really short term. But we tend to not get there. And we tend to think, you know what, I'll just take all the stuff that I can get. And even if I can't take it with me, if I can get it for a good 30 years, I'll take that. And it's a foolish way to live. We brought nothing in and we can take nothing out. Every time I, I long for, you know, new floors or new countertops, I got a real problem with those things. And every time I think about them, and, and every time I start to take them out of the box, every time I start to do that, man, this reality right here brings me back in focus. I'm not going to go to heaven and be like, check out my countertops. There's a picture of them. <laughs> they were gorgeous, stone, real stone. And every time that, that, that my perspective starts to get off and I take things out of the box that should be in the box, I come back to that truth. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't really matter that much. I told you guys many times my dad died. He was 44. I felt like this is probably why I talk about boat all the time. My dad talked about saving for a boat his whole life. I felt like his life was like, I'm going to get that boat one day. I'm just going to fish, you know, throw my phone in the water, and that's what I'm going to do. And then, what do you know? He never, never quite got there. Well, the story is not to go buy a boat soon. <laughs> it's that you, you, know, you just don't get to take any of it with you and all the things that, that, you, that you thought that you, you really wanted in this life, you didn't get to take any of it. And the things people say about him are never, you know what I remember about your dad? That new couch they got. That thing was so comfortable. 
All right, talk about the Sunday school class that he taught or, or that he was their baseball coach when they were a kid or any number of the, the kind of things that you leave, the impact that you make. You brought nothing into this world. You can take nothing out. Second point of perspective that, that Paul gives them is this reality. It's the reality that nothing or no thing, no thing will make you happy. There's some reality. No thing will make you happy. Maybe for a minute. But no thing will make you happy because it's not a thing that brings us joy. It's a who. And no thing gives us ultimate satisfaction. It's a who that gives us satisfaction. And in the same way that if we're honest, the, the, the worst pain that we feel is when our relationships are at war or when we're on the verge of losing a relationship and the greatest things we feel are, 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 are the great joys in relationships. My, my 10-year anniversary with Jess, you know, I'm just kind of in awe and I look at her and I look at, you know, my daughter and then we got one on the way and, and it's just an incredible thing to think that, you know, I mean, I've, I've, we've done all this together. I can't even imagine life without you or separate from you. And did I share all that? No, I'm a man. I didn't say that. Um, but I'm thinking this is incredible. And I get great joy from that. And when I watch my kids do something, when I watch, you know, uh, Nate, you know, the other day he pulled up on something for the first time. I mean, you thought I won the lottery. Get in here, he pulled up, you know. Just so much joy that we get in our relationships. And in the same way, we find the greatest joy in relationship with Jesus. And Paul's working this part of this letter to this point. They say you're lacking some satisfaction. Are we still on? All right. I'm just, I'm just going to keep going, all right? We find our greatest joy in relationship with Jesus, and Paul's been working this. And, and so he's specifically talking about money in this particular passage, and he's talking about not finding satisfaction there. But what he loops around to is this reality. He says godliness, the godliness that comes with contentment, the godliness that comes with contentment, that's great gain. The relationship with Jesus that brings contentment, that's the thing that you're looking for and pursuit of God, and loving Him, and pursuit of Jesus, and giving your life to Him. He says, that's the greatest game. And you've been looking for your satisfaction in everything else, but you just won't find it there. And rather than the pursuit of something else, a pursuit that ends in destruction, a pursuit of God that ends, a pursuit of God rather than destruction, a pursuit of God ends with great gain. Joy, satisfaction, eternity in heaven, and, and on to forever beyond this life. He says, those that's the kind of satisfaction that you want. And that can only be found in Jesus. So what I pray for me consistently, especially throughout this week as I've been sort of swimming in this truth, and what I pray for you is, is that in addition to fleeing from envy, which I certainly want to do, in addition to fleeing from that, and in addition to getting some perspective on my stuff and my situation and all that kind of stuff, it's my prayer that collectively we would seek life's greatest satisfaction, and that is following Jesus.
And for some of that, some of us, that, that hasn't even begun yet. And for some of us, it's, it's for the first time consciously confessing sin, recognizing Jesus as Lord, and committing to follow Him. And some of us there, and, and some of us, we've been there, but we've lost perspective on, on what we were called to. And it's coming back to Jesus and saying, I came far from whom you called me to be, but I want to come back to that. Let me pray for you.